0: For many, social distancing became social isolation, and as people went through COVID, they discovered a variety of things. Some discovered new means of connection, whether it was FaceTime, Skype, through COVID. Some people thought up until COVID that Zoom was just part of a Mazda commercial. And now they've discovered that it's this online platform with which they can have multiple meetings. And some of us have had more Zoom meetings than we thought was ever possible in life. And so as we've gathered and found new ways of gathering, some have also struggled. Some have struggled with loneliness, anxiety, depression. They've felt abandoned. They've felt as if they've been neglected. They felt as if no one has called, as if no one has reached out. Last year, there was a 2019 Angus Reid study that was done in connection with Cardus. They said this, listen to this. Interpersonal connection is at the heart of all human society. This is in the notes I emailed out. As a species, we thrive on relationships and social interaction to the point that our health as individuals is negatively affected in the absence of these connections. Fascinating. If you know Cardus, it's based in Hamilton. It's faith-based. So thankful for Cardus and the work that they do. But Angus Reid is not. And so as you read that, in that persuasion, of course, you can just see that they're talking about the critical element of interpersonal connection. It's actually how God's wired us. God's wired us to be able to relate to each other and to need them. But out of these 2019 stats, I want you to hear this. I have a few of them. 62% of Canadians, remember this is pre-COVID, would like their friends and family to spend more time with them. Only 14% of Canadians describe their current state of their social circle as very good. 33% of Canadians could not identify friends or family members to provide financial assistance in an emergency. 41% of Canadians wish, wish, that should say, uh, they had someone to talk to but don't. 54% of Canadians wish they had someone to go places with. 18% of Canadians They have no one to count on for emotional support in a crisis. Now, connection is hard. It's hard for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's personality. Sometimes your personality just rubs someone else the wrong way. You rub someone the wrong way. I mean, I realize when I take any personality test, I am extroverted to an extreme. Like, I just love people. I remember when Ethan was punished one day when he was a kid, we were sending him to his room. Ethan was very social as a kid. He still is at times now, and he was going to his room and he said, this isn't fair. He was so upset with Amy and I. He said, he said, I just need people. I just need people. The house was full of people and he was being disciplined. And and some of us are wired that way. and Some of us are more introverted. And in our introversion, uh, we just want a quieter space. I mean, last night we had some friends over and I was talking about how I threw Amy a 29th surprise party. And it was like death to her. I mean, she appreciated all the people who came, her friends, but. She'd rather be with two people than going through this big surprise that she didn't know about. I remember she walked up the stairs, everybody said, said surprise, and she left. She walked right back down the stairs of our attic. And she did come back up, thankfully. I was like, I need to go get her. This didn't go over well. I thought this was fun. And I realized her fun and my fun were radically different. Uh, visible minorities, yeah, sorry, that was, that's personality, but interests. Pe- people have different interests, which can make connections hard, different social circles because of who you are. I mean, I, I've been with different professions this summer. Some of it with, with has happened because of the fundraising at the building, and they'll say, man, you know, it's funny, but all of us hang out as engineers or as teachers or as, as uh, tradespeople, like we all kind of hang out in our culture and groups, and the only cross connection with others is often at one of two places, either in your church or in your family, if you have family members that aren't of the of the same kind of academic standing. And so all of that can happen. Busyness, right? Just different phases of life as well, right? When you're having kids, when your kids are getting older, when, when eventually you're caring for aging parents, all of that can come into play that can make connect with others hard. This was also said in the study that visible minorities, indigenous Canadians, and those with mobility challenges, and the LGBTQ2 individuals All deal with higher levels of social isolation isolation and loneliness than the general population average. So they they divided Canadians up into five groups. The desolate, which are people who are both lonely and isolated, 23% of Canadians would say they're desolate. That is an awful term, by the way. I mean, if you didn't have any type of mental health disorder before, you were called desolate anyway. The desolate. The next group, the lonely but not isolated. Right? So these are people who are working They're out in the community But they still don't feel a connection Right, They still don't feel well connected to people These are people who are often fairly well educated With decent means The next group, the isolated But not lonely So these are people who are isolated These are people who often are in maybe a nursing home I know this is pre-COVID But their kids visit them faithfully Nieces and nephews come and see them these are typically people age 55 and up where there are empty nesters and people are still seeing them. Then you have the moderately connected at 31% and the cherished. Again, I don't know if the desolate and cherished are the good anchored on either side, but this is the terms I use. The cherished with 22% where they feel, you know, they don't feel lonely, they don't feel isolated, they feel connected. But there are a variety of factors that come into this, right? Which include uh, and, and why this happens in people's mental health it, it includes social factors. It includes uh, where you live and, and the environment that you're a part of. So, this summer, July 2020, did, McGill University said this Social isolation or a lack of social opportunity gives rise to a sense of loneliness. Directly or indirectly, this feeling has many wide ranging consequences for our psychological well being as well as our physical health, even our longevity. In short, loneliness kills people. And fascinating, God's wired us for connection, right? We're called what? He saves us in relationship with Him so we can be in relationship with each other and He calls us His family. We're God's children and being saved into relationship with God, He calls us His children. And then we're saved into relationship with each other where He lets us know that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That we have a connection that no one else can share. So Diana mentioned Romans 12, that is where I'm gonna jump into it for a few minutes today. Romans 12, I'm gonna start actually in verse 10. Be given to love. Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. He says, if you're gonna give yourself to something, be devoted, give yourself, apply yourself to love. Now, he actually explains what he means to loving each other. I want you, he says, the apostle, to firstly and foremostly be given to loving each other. Why? It's modeling how the father has us interact as the father of the family, right? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So often we think of the love of Christ but the verse there is very clear and you can track this through scripture. For God so loved, for the father so loved. And here Paul's saying, I want you to be devoted to each other in love. Just as the Father is devoted to you in love, I want you to be devoted to each other in love. I want you to model this selfless, sacrificial, serving love. That's God's love, right? It's selfless, he gave his son. It's sacrificial, the son died. And it's a serving love. It's a serving love. And God says, I want you to be able to do the same now. To be able to selflessly, sacrificially serve. So be devoted to one another in love. Then it says this, Honor one another above yourselves. So as you respect and esteem others, honor one another above yourselves. It was out of Philippians, where a very similar passage is found. And someone came to me one time and said, Dwayne, how am I supposed to honor people above myself when I know I'm better than them? And I said, well, that's the problem right there. But that's often how people think. People actually think that people are beneath them, that they know better, that they know more. That they're well articulated in a certain area. And here it's really clear. Honor others above yourself. Esteem them higher than yourself. Look at the gifts God's given them, the talents God's given them, the abilities God's given them. And honor them for the things that God has granted them. Not, Not just thanking them for what they can do, but thanking them for the God giftedness that he's granted them. Honoring them in the way that the Lord has wired them and the way that the Lord has put them together with the talents and the abilities that he has. I mean, some people will do some things you do and do them even better. Or just do them differently. They'll just do them differently. And I was last week speaking at NBC and I was there this summer and Rick Reed was there and several of my friends were there. Paul Carter, Paul Martin, like people that I know and love that I'm friends with, right? And so at one point there were people there talking to me and they were talking about Rick Reed and I. Right? I, th- I think Rick is one of Kenda's best communicators. We've had him at Houston a number of times. And Rick at one time gave me a compliment about my preaching. We were both preaching in a large form. When I looked at Rick, Rick teaches preaching at Heritage. And I said, well, Rick, I said, it's nice that you appreciate my preaching, but I think I'd fail your preaching class. I don't preach any way that you teach preaching. And, and one of the things that happens is even though Rick Reed will preach very differently than Dwayne Klein, and we both have gifts some preaching... I honor that he's one of Canada's best communicators and so respect the gift that God has given him. And so that's one of the things that we need to be doing is finding sometimes someone's gifted just like us and honoring them in their giftedness. Sometimes people are gifted very differently than us. And we want to honor the Lord in the way that God's gifted them so differently than us. I have very little mechanical ability. I can tear anything apart. That's my gift. I can take it apart. No problem. Have musical ability, it's not, it's not. I'm not not great at singing, though I actually love to sing. I was so thankful that we could gather today and sing. I heard so many of you singing, and it's a joy to be able to sing together. I'm not very athletic, I mean, I I cycle, I run, but you know, like if it comes to catching that football, it may not happen. You know, I can dive for the frisbee, ultimate frisbee. That may mean I just get grasped, that may be all that happens. And so I can appreciate people that have mechanical abilities, that have athletic abilities, that have musical talents, that are creative. Any creativity I have, I borrow. I see something and go, oh. And so you honor one another above yourselves. You see the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given others. And you say, wow, I see what God has given you there. I see how God has wired you. I see how God has blessed you. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for the creative genius God gave you. I'm so thankful for the mechanical ability God gave you. I'm so thankful for the musical talents. Man, I'm so thankful for your academics. I'm so thankful for the way that you're able to to, to understand something or the way that you see culture and able to speak into it. Then he says in verse 11, Don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Give yourself to others as you love them and honor them enthusiastically enthusiastically never be lacking in zeal keep your spiritual fervor serve the lord so he describes the way we serve the lord with in two ways zeal with zeal that's passion and fervor or maybe even two ways of describing passion right zeal and fervor god says as you serve the lord do that well now how do you serve the lord How do you serve the Lord? I mean, Jesus left us with this great example, right? He's there with the disciples. They're having the meal together. No one has washed the dusty feet of each other. Jesus finally gets up, takes off his outer cloak, puts a towel around his waist, begins to wash their feet. They're amazed. And Peter's like, finally, like, no, there's no way you're doing that, Jesus. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And Peter's response is what, right? Well, then give me a bath, Jesus. Wash all of it. And Jesus is like, no, you've had a bath, but your feet are filthy because you're walking in the Mideastern dust in your sandals. And so your feet need to be clean." And then Jesus, after washing everyone's feet, says what? Now that I have done this for you, do this for each other. I mean, could you imagine in that moment, had Jesus said, now do this for me, every disciple, there would have been an all-out brawl. Who's going to do this for the Lord? Who's going to do this for the Lord? Who's going to do this for the Lord? I am, I am, I am. That's not what Jesus says. He says, now that you've seen me do this for you, do it for each other. Serve each other that way. Develop that kind of community. Now it's easy to lose your fervor. It's easy to lose your zeal. You help someone, you come alongside of them, you feel unappreciated. You really gave your effort into something, like you gave your all and it goes unnoticed. You've given and given and given. I mean, you've invited people over. You've taken over meals. You've served, and it's unreciprocated. No one else has done it for you. And it's easy to become incredibly self-absorbed. That's what happens. When you feel unappreciated, unnoticed, when it feels as if you're always doing it, no one's doing it for you, it's an incredibly selfish moment. Because the Lord was about taking his life and laying it down. Taking his life and laying it down. How do you keep your spiritual fervor? How do you never lack in zeal? Well, it's us coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is impossible for me. I I can't continue to serve this way. I can't continue to honor you in this way. I need you to change my life. Because I want people to serve me. I want people to notice me. I want people to do this. I want to be served. Now, maybe not uh, in every way, right? Some of us want people out of our lives for certain things, but... But here we are, when we feel unappreciated, unnoticed and unreciprocated, the Lord needs to do a great work in us because we will lack in zeal and our spiritual fervor will wane. And here he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And notice it's with the kingdom perspective. Verse 12, and so be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Our hope is our secure, true, dependable hope in Christ. The risen one, right? Who not only died, but rose to life again. Our hope is in Christ, the eternal one. Our hope is in God in him alone. He is God. There is no one else like him. And so we have a joy in hope. Because the hope is the certainty that Christ who came will come again. Patient in affliction, that when you're going through hardships, difficulty, persecution even. God, give me patience. Long-suffering. Help me to stay the course, Lord. And faithful in prayer. God, can I bring all this to you? God, today is feeling like a hopeless day, and you're telling me to be joyful at home. God, grant me that joy. Help me to see your hope. So we need a kingdom perspective, living out kingdom values, verse 13. And so we share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality as part of developing community reminiscent of the book of Acts where those who had more took the more they had and sold that, laying it at their disciples' feet or the apostles' feet so that they could distribute it to those who had need and the scriptures say in Acts 2 and 4 that there was no needy person among them. That the Lord so worked that those who had more took the more they had and shared it in the distribution to the church for those that had less, that there was no need. It doesn't mean there was no want but there was no need. Everyone had enough. It's not that everyone has an equal share. I remember hearing this years ago. It was so helpful. It's not that everyone had an equal share, but everyone had their fair share, their just share. Does that make sense? Enough to eat. Clothes. Shelter. So share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. James 2, in talking about sharing with those who are need, says this. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds? That faith can't save you. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. And so we share with those in need, and we practice hospitality. And being hospitable isn't just having people over like you. It's not just having people over that are of the same academic standing that are like you in terms of, of, of you know they're in the same social class. It's also having people over that are unlike you. That's Luke fourteen. We looked at that a number of months ago, right? When you take a look at Luke fourteen, and Jesus says to the Pharisees and those sitting there, Don't invite over your father, mother, brothers, and sisters when you have a banquet. But rather invite over the lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind. Because then you'll receive your reward, right? In the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus isn't saying you can't ever have over your friends and family. But he's saying in the natural ebb and flow of life, as you practice hospitality, you should be having people over that are so unlike you because that's the kingdom. And you now serve that king. Verse 15, so rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn and live in harmony be aligned rejoice, sometimes we want to rejoice with those who mourn somebody's mourning over something that's happened and what do do we hear they deserve that they had it coming to them you hear that in the world all the time something goes wrong for someone and I'll hear someone say oh they had that coming to them or I'll hear this, karma there's no such thing as karma by the way inserted it there but not to let you think it was real they had that coming to them I mean all the time I see people in the world rejoice when people are mourning but okay, scripture calls us through the opposite we're to rejoice when someone's rejoicing when they get a promotion at work, we didn't get we're to celebrate when they're asked to serve in a way that we want to serve and we weren't asked we're to celebrate when, we're, when they're asked to do whatever it is they're asked to do we are to celebrate we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes we remor, we mourn when people are rejoicing. We think we deserve what they got. We think that they didn't deserve that. The opposite of the other, right? But we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. And we're to live in harmony. And then, finally, here and then one other little point, Paul says, "Don't let yourself get in the way." He says it this way. So don't be proud. Don't be proud. Verse sixteen but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't ever be conceited. Don't let yourself get in the way. I mean, it is challenging, right? When you're helping and walking alongside of someone who's struggling with maybe a mental health issue, and it's slow and it's painstaking, you're always paying for things they're ankle level. The is, don't get in the way, don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people who are of a lower position, De- never be conceited. I remember when we started to work with the Karen. I so appreciate them. And I began to work with them with Pastor Marcia. We'd go to meetings. We'd talk to them. We'd send an email out explaining what we thought had happened in the meeting. And they would say, that's not what we thought happened. And I'd be like, what? Or they'd go off and in their structure and system, they'd have decided something else and come back to us. So finally, I just said to Pastor Marcia, they're all yours. God bless you. I'm kidding. That's not quite the way it happened. We need to designate someone to really look after them and, and walk alongside of them. But it can be hard, right? When everything's through translation and everything's done with cultural barriers, you're trying to understand and you think you've got it. And then you go away and you realize you don't have it. And it can be easy to think our way's better, our system's better, how we do things better. Paul says, "Don't, don't be conceited. Don't think that just because you do something differently than someone means that your way is a better way or the best way, don't be conceited, ever. Don't be conceited in your opinions over disputable matters. Don't be conceited in your opinions over your preferences. Don't be conceited. Don't be proud. Because it's true. Why, why does he go so hard after this at the end of this portion of scripture? Because pride destroys community. And he's been really clear here that we're to be a people as we gather as God's people, as family, who are devoted to each other in love, who honor each other above ourselves, who never lack zeal or spiritual fervor, but we serve the lord by serving each other that we're joyful in hope we're patient in affliction we're faithful in prayer we share with the lord's people who are in need we practice hospitality we rejoice when our brothers and sisters are rejoicing we mourn when they're mourning and we live in harmony with each other so he says get out of the way so my spirit can work and create the family i want to create remember years ago a respected pastor i love john piper gave a young man who was struggling in his ministry in terms of its its volume, it was a huge ministry, like 4,000 people. And he looked at him and he said to him, stop being you and be yourself sanctified. Because you and your pride and arrogance are gonna destroy everything. But if you become who Christ wants you to become, God will build his kingdom. As I close, I remember a few years ago when Sam Albert was speaking in our church, passage in mark 10 was part of his message it's a passage of the rich young ruler where after the rich young ruler has walked away peter says what about us we've left everything and jesus says no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes brothers sisters mothers children fields and persecution and in the age to come eternal life And I remember hearing that and for the first time it was clear to me that Jesus wasn't just talking about that in the next life, but in this life as well. And so as people leave their community groups, a Hindu background, a Sikh background, a Muslim background, an atheistic background, an agnostic background, and they become part of our community group, the people in their community group who are convinced that in joining ours, that they'll fail in being part of the kingdom of God, should see that they flourish because in this kingdom, in God's kingdom, in this community, they now have brothers and sisters, family members, of which they never had. They have gifts they can rely on, people they can walk with. So as I close off with this prayer, and I'll invite Jamie and you guys to come up, As I guess you got to wait till I'm done or something. As, as, As you guys come up, as you reflect on this passage in Romans 12, some people have left these sermons thinking, you know, Dwayne, that was good. No one's doing this for me. And if you're thinking that today, you've got it all backwards. I remember I was leaving a sermon on the family of God and a lady came up to me. I was at an event and she said, oh, I'm so glad you preached that Dwayne, because pastor, I think she called me, because a whole bunch of people from my church is here. And none of them serve me the way you just talked about. And I was like, did you just hear what I said? Did you read what the scripture said? This wasn't about everybody else serving you. This was about you serving everyone else. And then she got upset with me. But Lord, change our hearts. That this will be who we are to others. And in doing so, find out that they're that to us. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful. Thankful that you not only have granted us the opportunity to know you, but you bring us into a family. Our relationship with you grants us relationship with each other. And God, coming out of COVID, as so many people are struggling, agonizing, and wrestling through community, and people are beginning to now form new groups of community, understand new groups of community, God, may we, your church, be a group, a community, a family, that when people look at us, they have no explanation for who we are, except that God indeed is in our midst. And he is our God, you are our God, and we are your people. So change our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.